there. Hey everyone, this is Coach Mark Nolan, and welcome back for another episode of Don't Out Kick Your Coverage, the only podcast dedicated to the high school athlete and their parents throughout the world, not just the United States, but really international, since we have international students that listen to us and parents across many, many different factors. So today I'm extremely excited to have a friend of mine from over the pond, as we say, Emma O'Donnell, and her discussion on her new book and some of the amazing things that she has been able to do in the area of really mental aspects of dealing with athletes. And, you know, Emma, I want to welcome you to our, to our Donut Kick Your Coverage podcast, and I hope you are doing well today. You know, Mark, I'm delighted to be here. So I am, you know, we've we've known each other for a little time now. And so I'm glad that I finally here to get to talk to you and to your your audience. Good. Well, Falcon, welcome aboard. So listen, uh, I got a couple of questions for you and mm -hmm. uh, I'll do the best I can to really to focus on you and the, the things you can do to maybe to share some of uh, some really important data that you have um, with the people you work with and our audience. OK. Okay. So Emmer, you know, why did you start on this journey uh, of wanting to be focused on, you know, these areas? And can you share some of your background with us? For those who don't know the path uh, of what it takes to become someone in your field and your expertise. Sure. I'd love to do that. So my background is I have a background in psychology. And if I think back to why I chose psychology as a little girl, um, I used to travel around the country with my mom and I used to go to lots of different schools for a couple of days here and a couple of days there. You'd never get away with it now. And as a child, as a result of that, I became really interested in watching people, especially being the new child in the playground. It can be like the Wild West. <laughs> and I also learned when my mother worked that if I was quiet, then I could stay and spend more time with her. So when it came to me choosing what I would study, psychology seemed like an obvious subject. Uh, it was something that was close to my heart. It was something that I enjoyed. And, but if I'm honest, beyond that, I wasn't really thinking much. Uh, it just, you know, that was my choice to go and study that. Then from there, I went and worked for a number of years in, uh, in business, international business, global businesses, which is, I think, really important part of what I bring to my work. Um, because I know what it's like to work in the real world. And then more recently, I have three children. So I had one first and then I had two more. And during that, I wanted to find a new direction that would help me raise my children, but also be able to work at the same time. So why having two children, I also completed a master's um, in business coaching and behavioral change from a someplace called uh, Henley Business School, which is a very well-known business school in the UK. And I came out of that astounded that I had thought I was self-aware and actually I was lacking such awareness. And I questioned why so much of what I'd learned when I completed that study wasn't something that I had access to as a young person because I felt it would have really helped me make better quality decisions and choices in my earlier life um, if it had been available and, and explained to me in a way that I could have understood it. Mm. So as we've moved through 
COVID and we're seeing a kind of a tsunami of mental health issues for young people arriving as the world around them and the world that we have created around them changes, I wanted to deliver what I would see as a crucial gap in their education to be able to help them manage their own well-being so that future generations of young people got access to the science, the positive psychology, the tools and techniques um, that have been used for many years. So this stuff isn't new, has been used for many years in high performance business leaders and with elite sports people, because I think the environment they live in now means that they need this new learning. And so for me, I know young people can be supported to thrive. You know, finding their purpose is all about knowing who you are. They can find a purpose that's aligned with them because that's really what fires us up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really important that we know that they bring incredible value to the world and we need them to be in a good state to manage the world going forward because we've left a lot of mess for them to clean up. But they don't always feel that in themselves. And for me, we're losing too many to suicide. So for me, it doesn't have to be that way. And ultimately, I know if you know who you are, if you know what makes you tick, then you're in a much better position to be able to create a life you love. And for me, if I think of my job as a parent of two, three children, it's my job to create those conditions that empowers my children to discover what their natural talents and strengths are so that they can live a life that's aligned with them rather than me as a parent wanting something else for them. Gee, I, I am, I've never heard of a parent wanting something for them as opposed to what their kids want, but that's, you know, that just goes with the, with the, uh, the, the things we do nowadays. I, you know, you mentioned you have your three children who were in sports and, and I know from them, how did you, how did you interact with some of the things that they were going through? And then more importantly, what did you learn from them? Okay, for me, uh, so I have three children. One is in his mid-20s, so I suppose he's flown the coop and is out there, you know, living his life in the world. For me, sports is so important because it teaches so much. It teaches teamwork. It teaches leadership. And these are all needed in the real world. It teaches that ability to balance our pain and our pleasure zones in our brain. You know, If we just seek pleasure all the time, what happens is that our brain wants more and more of a pleasure, and then our threshold for being able to handle pain reduces. Whereas if you have to get up and exercise, there's a pain in it. You gotta put your shoes on, you gotta get out, you gotta go in the rain, you gotta run around. But actually when you complete it, you feel so much better. You feel fabulous because you know you've made the effort and you've worked through that resistance. So for me, we also know in the world that we live in right now, so many young people are overwhelmed with data. Actually, adults are overwhelmed with it too, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. So what, for me, what, 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 what sport can do is help our children embed themselves in their bodies, ground themselves in their bodies, because when you're running around in the mud or playing or engaging, you haven't got time to overthink You haven't got time to think what's wrong with you. You're just in the moment. You're just, you know, performing there and then. And for me, that's hugely important. And and what I do see with my children is, you know, when they perform well, they feel great. But actually, they're learning that it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Because through failure, we learn how to get better. And actually, we should embrace it. I say that to my kids. You know, if you if you're winning all the time, you're not learning. Correct. You're in your comfort zone. And we need to move outside that comfort zone because we don't learn anything while we're stuck in it. But we don't want to end up in the freak out zone either. No, that's a great point. And because, you know, what I think, you know, one of the things I do talk about is, you know, I had two sayings. One is, you know, uh, I have a lot of young guys that have a tendency to overthink things. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'll say to them, look, you know, what does a Nike commercial say? It does. It says, just do it. It doesn't say, just think about it for an hour and a half. It just says, just do it. Right. And uh, so I think that's the one thing I, I get away from with uh, with the young athletes I train is that sometimes they overthink things and they overprocess things and they should just do it to your mm. point. Right. Uh, so Absolutely. What, what is what was what is the favorite part of your job right now? And then, you know, and then the least favorite part of your job. And as you went, have, as you've gone through this journey. Okay, so I would say my favorite part of my job is when I can empower others to do the work I do, because I know there's only one of me, and I know we have a big problem to deal with. Mm. So if I can empower others uh, through the programs I've created to, um, yeah, to, to, to be able to do what I do so that young people can be empowered and know that they have the ability to manage their well-being, because actually it underpins performance. Um, when I can also empower parents to have a better relationship with their teens because it's a you know it's a challenging time raising teenagers um and they change they can change before your eyes the child that you thought you knew all of a sudden isn't there anymore but I think I think in my book I explain why that is um and if we can if we can learn and I use this I use this story is you know when they're babies we have to they put up with us making loads of mistakes and we don't always get it right. You know, we're tired, we're grumpy, we're stressed, whatever it is. But when they become teenagers, it's actually payback time because they're tired, they're grumpy, they're stressed. <laughs> and we have to learn to be able to develop on that journey with them. So when I can empower parents to do that and we get better connection and better relationships, for me, that's so important because the quality of the relationships we have in our lives develops absolutely defines the quality of lives we have and it hugely impacts both our physical and mental health so when we can develop that positive relationship in the home for me that's the first system we're part of then that is what you bring out into the world as you move out into it into your work into your education you know into all those spheres and get it right at home. And actually, I just think it's incredibly important now to do that. Yeah. When I think, and when I see a young person, you know, come to me worn out, overwhelmed, not being able to have no clarity of direction, feeling under huge amounts of pressure. And then at the end of the process, seeing that spark return to their eyes when they know they're empowered and they, they're, they can, they can make decisions. They can make choices that will support them to navigate life's ups and downs to me that's magic yeah no you're that's that's very it's very spot on as the as they say over there in the uk right um mm -hmm. you know so you know there's a lot of experts out there there's experts in every field every day every minute we got experts right we all have these experts in our field and then they all change every day just about but what is what what is the one idea that experts in your field 
say that you might disagree with. I don't mean, you know, holistically, but just what might disagree with, with the training side, both from the physical and, and, but more the mental side and how you look at this situation and its effects on them as athletes or even just as high schoolers. Okay. So if I think about the people I engage with, I mean, the first point point to call is often parents. Uh, I also engage, you know, with teachers, um, people in innovative educators, I call them. That's the ones I like to work with. And and I think if I think about the world of sport, even though it's not something that I, I necessarily work in, I think there's been way too much focus on performance as the priority rather than building the individual well-being first. Mm. Because if you haven't got well-being, you don't have the mindset. You don't know why you're doing it. And actually, the science shows us you can't have sustained performance without well-being. And we're often pushing and pushing and pulling and dragging our kids over the line. And I, I liken it to like, imagine a donkey that's just got all these packs of weight on them. And we may push them over. They may, may win that tournament. They may get those grades. But they're exhausted by the time they're there. And if they haven't learned the skills to be able to manage that, to build their ability to, to create their own well-being, then actually we're putting them out into the world then without those skills. And we know from Deloitte reports, um, you know, post-COVID, mm-hmm. that the mental health bills, and this is in the UK, so and I'm sure it's much greater globally, the mental health bill for UK businesses is in its billions, 40 billion and it's gone wow. up to over 50 billion. Wow. And we also know that the most vulnerable people in the workforce are young people. Yes. So we have to get it right. Yeah. We can push them all we like. We can say it's all about winning. You know, it is about winning, but it's winning in a way that's sustainable. It's winning in a way that's enjoyable. It's winning in a way that, we'd, we're, you know, it's it's not about, it's about collaboration within a team where you, you know, you work together. And for me, it's definitely not about, you know, a, 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 a coach's agenda or a, a parent's agenda, because I don't know any parent that would want to burn their kid out. And sometimes we do it unconsciously. Oh, I think that's probably more, it'd be, I think more to the point when when we do it subconsciously is because mm-hmm. I don't think they know, I, I don't think we know any better as parents. I think we haven't been, you know, it's almost like I made this statement the other day about Pavlov dog. I mean, mm-hmm. if if uh, Pavlov would have used uh, a parent, you know, uh, with the salivation standpoint of a D1 offer or going to you know Notre Dame or Penn State or going to play sports at the highest level, it, it would probably be a different situation. You know, all that all that conditional grooming that that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pavlov uh, took us through. So. I know there are many courses who focus on different things, you know, and procedures in the areas of uh, the athlete, not, and, you know, I'm I'm focused on the athletes today, of course, but the athletes physical and mental side of the game care. I know, you know, that, that, that is a big focus with parents, you know, pregame and then during the game and then postgame care. Mm. So I think what's what's important to remember is that constant pressure creates stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we go into survival mode. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, we live in a world where our bodies and minds are being continually triggered. So often we can be in stress and in elements of uh, anxiety. And actually, our bodies don't get a rest and they're not designed for that. You know, we're designed to meet the tiger in the jungle every now and then. But we're not designed to be hit with stress and anxiety every single day. And because that makes us ill, it impacts our immune system and we can't perform. So yeah. I think that's really important to remember that first. Yeah. So the question I say is, you know, what energy are you bringing to the relationship with your child? Really important. If you're bringing anger, if you're bringing fear, you're going to create more of that. And actually, that's not the stuff any parent or child wants. They want connection. They want love. They want to be seen. We also know from studies that um, top performance, top performing children are not necessarily the ones that win all the games. They're not necessarily the ones that get all the medals because they get burnt out. Mm. When they get appreciated, whether they win or lose, actually because they just get appreciated for showing up, they just get appreciated for doing their best, they just get appreciated for who they are, that builds much greater confidence and much greater um, self-esteem than if actually all their hopes are pinned on that medal in order to get approval from a parent or a coach. Yes, so a great point. Great point. It's really important. And, and the other thing that's really important to mention, feedback. Now, most of us are lousy at giving it. And that's one big thing I look at in my book. I look at two things. I look at the tools that I use as a coach to connect with young people and speak to their parents. Mm -hmm. So I look at things like feedback, active listening, the fact that we all have bad day behavior. But one thing about feedback, it's the second greatest human need. The first is our, we need to breathe. We need every three minutes, most of us need to take a breath of fresh air. The second thing that often people think about is water. So that's three days that we can only last without it. Mm -hmm. And then with food, it's three weeks. But actually, the second one is, is feedback. Within mm -hmm. three hours, we normally can't help ourselves giving someone feedback. And what feedback does, it says way more about the person giving it than the person receiving it. Mm -hmm. And ask yourself as a parent, is my feedback, feedback going to empower or disempower in this situation? Mm -hmm. When Johnny or... You know, Mary has played a game. You just need to get them into the car and they need to be the kid. They don't need a lecture for you on the way home. Right. They don't need to. They believe me. I know so many young people. They beat themselves up already. They don't need you to give them a double dose. Yeah. They just want to be the kid that you love. That's yeah. all they want. And they and as a team, they don't always do it because their brain is going through so much changes. It impacts their decision making. It impacts their impulse control. And so they're going to screw up. And that's part of the journey as part of them being able to leave the nest and go on and create a life without you. But you want to be sure when they move out that they want to come back. Right. And so be very careful right. about about your agenda, you right. know. Yeah, I often talk about, um, you know, growing up when I grew up, we had seven kids in my family. Um, you know, my dad was a, a World War II veteran. And, um, he was a big time, uh, big time guy, big guy, big time guy. Uh, but he was also your typical Irish Catholic uh, guy that liked to drink a few pints. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
And we, you know, one of the things he did, uh, he would come home. One time we had a big back room with a fireplace and he decided that he was going to challenge all seven of us and he built trophy cases, uh. all seven of us. And you know what? God forbid you came home from, you know, the football banquet or the basketball banquet or the baseball banquet or the soccer banquet or the 4th of July uh, uh, day without a trophy. There was usually hell to pay. You know, mm. that was pretty much it was like in my one sister, she was very artistic, didn't have a lot of trophies. And my dad kind of left her alone. But man, oh, man, oh, man, I can remember the days that he would if you came home without a trophy, uh, there was a lot of hell to pay. And you and, and you, you thought about it from the time you left, you know, the banquet to the time you got home. And maybe it was a mm. 15 or 20 minute walk home like, oh, my God, the old man's going to you know knock me around tonight, you know. Men mentally knock you around. Know, sometimes he mm -hmm. put me around a couple of times. Some I deserved, some would say, like my wife, and then probably some would say I didn't deserve. Um, but you know, there there there's gotta be more common mental mental and physical types of conditions that you found have been helpful with both in season and out of season training. Uh, since we know the pressures are different between these seasons. Would you agree with that? Um, I think regardless of what season, the the superpower that you can develop as a human being, regardless of what you do, mm -hmm. is a calm mind. Okay, good. And the reason why I say that is when we're in stress, we are in survival mode. We're very focused. We often can't see what the options are around us. Um, whereas if we're really calm, we have an opportunity to be able to look up and be more open to, to information that can help us solve our problems. Oh, great point. When we're, we're in a, cause we actually, you know, as, 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 as humans get bombarded with about 11 million, 11, 11,000 bits of information every second. Um, that's our unconscious mind, but our conscious mind can only handle about 4,000 of it. Mm. And if we're in the same thinking patterns, negative thinking patterns, we're going to come up with the same results, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when you can have a calm mind, you can actually kind of tap into more of the other information that's out there rather than your standard bog standard 4,000 bits of information that your brain loves you to stick with because you're, the, the thing about your brain is it wants to confer, it wants to conserve energy. And if you stick with tried and tested thinking and patterns, then you don't create any new, more neural pathways. And you know, when you learn something, sometimes your brain hurts. Mm -hmm. That's because you're creating different neural pathways, but that takes much more effort. Imagine it like skiing down the side of a mountain. Okay. If there's a tried and trusted um, ski, ski route, then you're going to go down a lot faster than if you've got to go over new, new snow. Oh, okay. So for me, That's it's good. really important that you learn how to calm your mind down. And because otherwise you will be continually triggered from what's going on in your externals in your life. And that's where all your attention and energy will go trying to fix all that stuff rather than being really centered on what it is that you want to create. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's your superpower. And right. there's lots of things you can do in order to achieve that.
Yeah, you were talking about getting, um, you know, the the power of the brain. I I always thought that the the nuns beat me over the head with the ruler was increasing my brain power, but I don't think that was the case. I uh, don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, if you had, so here's a here's a question for you: If you had the attention of the whole, you know, youth and high school and middle school world for five minutes, not even five minutes, maybe just thirty seconds, what would you say to them? about you know your experiences and the studies you have done and then i want to talk about your book and and why it's so critical that both parents and athletes know about what you're doing okay so if i was to tell them something the first thing i've learned um is that you're uniquely unique there is nobody else like you mm -hmm. and you need to celebrate that i think during these teen years we're so busy trying to find our identity, where you fit in, you're comparing yourself with everyone else, stop it. There's no one else like you. So really do celebrate it. I actually developed a product a few years ago with a number of different psychologists. And what we discovered was your behavioral preferences, which are normally formed by the time you're six or seven, the chances of you having exactly the same map as anyone else is one in a quintillion which is a billion billion, which mm. is more than there are people on the planet. Wow. <clears throat> so embrace who you are and be careful who you choose to follow because you are here. You have a unique set of talents and strengths. You may not know what they are now, but it's actually possible to identify those. Um, and, and, and be, it's really important too. I think that you stay curious, you know, seek the truth rather than your version of it. And I think it's really, really important that you're aware of your story. Does Good. it serve you or does it not? Yeah. And, and that that's a great lead in really to, I, I want to talk about your book, your, your best-selling book that you've come up with and uh, designed and really talk about maybe uh, from the last five years, you know, pre and then post COVID, what new belief or behaviors or even habits on what you think, um, children and their parents will need to focus on that is something that affects us all, you know, especially here in the United States, since the NCAA is really now focusing on the mental aspects of the student athletes. So we'd love to hear about your book and uh, the things that parents may be able to, to learn from it. And of course, where they can get it. Okay, so so I, I'll just tell you what the name of the book is. So it's called um, Understanding Teen Stress and Anxiety, mm -hmm. A Parent's Guide to Building Love and Connection. And what I've done is take my, my, my life learning, I guess, as a parent, but also as a professional um, with a background in psychology and coaching. And I've taken all of what I do to build connection with teens in my work. And I've given those skills and put them into a book for parents because I actually believe every parent needs these in their toolbox right now and the reason is we know way back in terms of you know the world's economic forum global risk report back in 2021 they heightened that you know pandemials there's a global deterioration in their mental health 80 percent are vulnerable to depression anxiety and disillusionment Wow. So what worked in the past isn't going to work now. Mm -hmm. We have to update skills. And I also know from speaking to parents, they desperately don't know what to do. And I just thought, well, you know what? 
I know what I do. So if I can put any of that into a book in order to help build that connection, build better relationships, that is so important. And I, I, I work with things like understanding really how feedback works. So you understand the structure of it, how to get better at it. Um, I talk about, I take parents on a, a coaching journey themselves so they understand what they're bringing to the relationship and what they're bringing to the party. Because whether we like it or not, we can't help but bring our baggage. And our kids don't need our baggage. You Correct. know, I do it. But Correct. the fact that I'm aware of it, I'm less likely <laughs> to do it. I also talk about the teenage brain and how that changes. And, and actually, it answers so many of the questions that I get asked by parents. Oh, they're behaving like this. They're behaving like that. I go read that chapter. It'll tell you what's going on. I also talk about what parents focus on and not necessarily behave aligned with. Mm. And then they worry, why, why didn't I get the result I want? So it is about, uh, we are, we really struggle as a, as a, a species to be totally objective. And when you understand why, because we have imperfect filters in our brains, if you don't understand how they work, you literally do not live in truth because you can't see the truth, because you're blinded by your experiences, your biases, your prejudices. We all have them, but we need to know about them. It's really hard for us to be objective. I also talk about connection blockers. You know, why won't your kid tell you this has happened? So, um, and again, when you understand that and the fact that even as adults, we have those connection blockers where we come from a place of fear. Um, you know, when we start to become aware of that. And I also talk about, you know, that we are often so busy and so fearful for them and their capability in the future. We lose sight of the importance of today and just living in joy. And when we live in joy, we're, we're in a much more higher vibrational emotion, emotional state, which taps into that well-being, which taps into that ability to perform. And I explain emotions and that the fact that they do have different um, vibrations. And these are scientifically measured. And I'm not like Mystic Meg making this stuff up. Right. All right. this stuff is best. Is, is, all this stuff is backed by science, um, you know, and, and I explain stress and anxiety, how it works, because you need to know in order to be able to manage it. Um, right. Yeah. So that's, the, that's some of the stuff. And, and the fact that there's a need for love and connection. We all want it, but we don't always know how to create it. And I'm hoping that my book, um, well, my, my, my intention with the book is that what's written in there uh, empowers both parents and their teens to create more of that. Yeah. And I think the website is uh, www.teenreconnect.com, right, Emma? And that's, yes. the, that's the best way to get you. And I'm going to send a link to everyone here that's on my podcast with your email address. And, you know, and where, of course, can, the, can you get the book right now? So it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon wherever you are in the world, because you might be, if you're in the UK, it would be .co.uk. If it was in the States, it would be Amazon.com. And then whatever, you know, country you're in, just look up your Amazon and, and, and put in the title, Understanding Teen Stress and Anxiety, A Parent's Guide to Love and Connection. And I think, Mark, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to tell your audience how to spell my name and you'll find it. Yeah, there you go. And, and you know, well, well of course, Make sure you get all those five-star reviews because they are important, uh, of course. Yes. On Amazon, as uh, you know. 
it's so important. And I, and I, and I, and I say it, it's not important because of me. Yes. It's important because if you put a review on there, that's what parents listen to. Yes. And, yeah. and I can say there's, you know, there's a lot of great reviews on there and I'm so grateful for those. Yeah. I saw, um, them. I saw them. They were awesome. Yeah. yeah um, so, so back to the, the post COVID stuff, as you know, uh, sports across the United States and the world, you know, during COVID, you know, a lot of it was shut down. Uh, kids had to stay inside, you know, parents had to stay inside. Kids weren't allowed to go out and do the things they did uh, on a, on a, on a daily basis. But now, now we're back into post COVID. Hopefully it's not going to come back again with any more issues. Um, but what would you tell parents uh, and the, and some of the athletes of some of the proper mental things that that you recommend like i'm a big uh, i'm i'm a big yoga guy i love yoga i love something called functional movement screening you know i'm all i've I've done a lot of nlp stuff in the past with tony robbins you know when i when Mm -hmm. his stuff so is there are there things that you believe that mentally make uh, a child um less anxious and and but also, I mean, from the parent standpoint, of course, the thing to make a parent less anxious, I would say, is drink decaf. But you know, that's <laughs> just me because you know they usually come out. You know, especially people that play soccer. You know, the parents will come out with their six pump, mote latte, you know, whatever else is on it, and you know they have four, four dozen donuts for the kids to play soccer on, which is actually the worst thing to do, you know, before a match. Uh, but are there mental things that you found that in your book that you've been talking about that helps people out? Absolutely. I mean, for me, the key bit is understanding what's going on. And and that's what I've tried to do in the book. I've explained what triggers stress. Okay. <clears throat> I've trained what creates anxiety. And often what's interesting about it is it's not it's not the event that triggers it. It's the fact that you'll have a thought around that event and then you'll have a belief around that event. And that belief will trigger an emotion and that in turn will trigger a behavior. And so really being aware of our beliefs and whether they serve us well or not is so important because sometimes we can just adjust a belief for us to come up with a different outcome that doesn't trigger the stress. I'm aware of the fact that, you know, when stress gets triggered, it's it's one system that's operating in the body. We have something called the vagus nerve uh, running all the way through our body and that counteracts stress in our body. So it's simple things like singing is really good because it activates your vagus nerve, chewing gum, and that might not go down with a lot of parents, but again, it's the movement um, that, 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 that helps calm things down. Um, the other thing is actually even just splashing cold water on your face first thing in the morning activates your, your vagus nerve. Um, and, and I think one of the most important things we can do in order to help with 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 you know mental health is that we recognize covid might be over but mental health problems aren't yes oh, absolutely Ab- absolutely absolutely i think that's a that's a great lead in Emma, to some of the things that we see here you know in in, in our world with the with the us sports and all, all the things going on right now high school athletes and the challenges they have because of this thing called the transfer portal and how that's affecting young men and women trying to get college athletics. And then that, of course, 
that that's almost like a dopamine, you know, issue where, where the parents get triggered now because they're like, oh my gosh, I spent fifteen thousand dollars, you know, last three years trying to get little Janie a soccer scholarship, and now you know this transfer portal is taking her scholarship offers away, you know, and I think one of the things that I've learned is throughout my career with both our children uh, was that how my father treated us and how my father interacted with us growing up, I had to do things differently because there was things I loved about my father, but there was things that made me cringe. Mm. Uh, and, and my wife, of course, is, is, is Asian. So we always say that, uh, you know, she's a lovely lady, um, but they, they do have a tendency to be, you know, really just focusing really on that education side of the house. So is, is there any tips or tricks in your book or chapters that help people like that out from the mental standpoint? And it doesn't have to be athletes. It can be just, you know, when Johnny comes home from school that day and dad says, Hey, how was your day today? And Johnny says, fine. Well, you know what? It may not really be fine. You know, maybe he was bullied at school or maybe mm -hmm. they broke up with a girlfriend or maybe they had something else going on, but seems like parents nowadays are so focused on everything else going on that when they do come in the door and they say fine and then the kid goes upstairs or downstairs in the basement and gets on social media how how can you help parents realize that that's a it, that's a trigger that you see when it when a child says that is there anything that you have in your book or tips around that to make them become more aware i mean the parents more aware so i think there's a, there's a number of things but and you just touched on one there that keep them off devices for as long as you can. Yeah. It's not their best friend. Yeah. Do you know why? Because your smartphone is like a hypodermic needle. You're right. The dopamine takes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, it's addictive. Addictive. And, yeah. you, and then you start screaming at them because they won't come and sit at the table and they won't come down when you want them to come down. And it just becomes a battleground. And I had a, I had a discussion with my, my, my middle boy. Um, and he's only 11. But, you know, I could see a change in behavior in him where he started, you know, wanting to play games as a result of being in other kids' houses. I have no devices. I have none of that stuff in my house. Um, and and then he would say, oh, can I play this game? Can I play that game? And I said, no. I said, you can. And then I could see within a month you started lying, started getting up early to play, you know, because he is hugely motivated by 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 winning. And And I had to sit down with him and I said to him, you know, you can choose, do you know what's going on? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, it's changing your behavior. It's not the person you are. I said, you have a choice. Do you want to watch everyone else's life or do you want to create your own? Mm, great point. What makes you feel better? Playing with your friends when you do all your sports, because he is a sports scholar, or said, or being, being here on this device. And he goes, oh, it's definitely playing with my friends. And I said, what do you think is going to serve you well? You know, that positive experience of togetherness, of, of working together, of really, you know, it's that pain pleasure thing in the brain, balancing it out or just getting on a on a game that ultimately they're going to hook you into and want you to take money from your pocket in years to come. And he actually turned around to me at 11 and said, Mom, take it away from me. I never want to play with it again. <laughs> Thank God. So the first thing I would say to parents, don't cave into your children's badgering that they need a fancy phone. I understand the need to want to be sure they're safe. 
but they don't need all the social media because actually their brains aren't at a stage or their ability to have a sense of identity is not developed enough for them to be bombarded with the rubbish that's on there. If we were to believe social media with all the smiles, you wouldn't think we have a mental health problem, but we know we do. And we are what we feed our minds and our bodies. So be careful what you give them because you might be feeling guilty or stressed. You just have to say no. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, just say no, K-N-O-W. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just just say no. <laughs> know your know your child, know what's going on, know what's going on with yourself. You know, exactly. As, as an adult, you know, know. Uh, I, I do have kids that will will tell me things that they won't tell their parents. I mean, I can I can probably tell you hundreds of stories where yeah. a kid will tell me something, you know, while I'm training them, and I'm like, Did your does your does your dad know that? Uh, no. And you know, don't don't tell my coach. And next thing you know, I'll just happen to walk over to one of the guys and hey, by the way, I was talking to Jake. Do you know that he played Call of Duty till five o'clock in the morning? No way. I didn't know that. I'm like, well, he had no problem telling me that because I knew he wasn't focused on our training session today. I said, mm-hmm. so here's the deal. If next time he shows up like this, I'm not going to train him and you're still going to pay me. So you either are going to have to monitor his his social media or his call of duty and doing all the things you got to do, or, you know, I'm not going to just train anymore because it's not worth it to you or me. So, you know, I think, I think we've come a long way. Emma, as you know, from the sixties, the seventies to the eighties, to the nineties and 2000, you know, what's, what's amazing to me though, honestly, when I wrote my book, one of the things that I talked about was, uh, you know, we've had five global pandemics, Mm-hmm. Uh, since the NCAA, which is you know is the is the biggest thing here in the United States to for high school athletes and college athletes, it's really the big organization that runs everything. We've had five global pandemics in 107 years of of um, United States and 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 the NCAA. And you know what? In all those years, Emma, in all those years. With all those global pandemics, with all the deaths and everything else, not once, not once did they stop high school sports playing or college sports playing. Mm-hmm. And then when COVID came up, this COVID came up and we had everything else going on, they shut everything down. And as you know, it didn't matter what part of the country you were from or where you were from, the, the mental side of this, taking, can you imagine just taking kids who are you know, playing sports 12, 10, 12 hours a day are now being told, no, you got to go inside your house. You got to put yourself in a box, you know, in your room or something like that. And you can't, you can't interface anything. Or the only thing you can do now is get on that device. Mm-hmm. So uh, from that standpoint, what do you think might be on the horizon that you've been able to do with your great book and some of the findings moving forward to help parents out? I think one of the most important things you can do as a parent, because there is a rise in mental health issues and there's a stigma still around it, is that you have to be that 3 a.m. person that your kid will want to call when they're at their worst. And if you're stressed and anxious, if your relationship with them, they're scared to tell you something because they're going to get their heads blasted off. And I don't mean, you know, 
physically i just mean <laughs> verbally right. um right um you know if they're if they're if that's the reaction they're going to get there you're not going to develop an open communication link with them you've got to as a parent be something that i call a good adult that's someone who's there as a lighthouse parent so they're going to fall up crash up among the rocks but you need to be there to hold them and help them to learn. They're on a learning journey. And actually, so are you as a parent during this period of time. You don't want to be the helicopter parent because you disempower them to make decisions, to be able to operate independently, uh, to be able to thrive beyond you and build resilience, knowing that they can do and function well on their own because we don't let them run free anymore to figure that out. So as the good adult, what the research shows, if a young person has a good adult in their lives, it's someone that they can trust, someone they feel that won't judge them, someone they feel they can come and talk to about their problems, who will listen and be open and not mommy coddle them, but actually guide them in terms of how they can function and perform better. And what we know from the research too is that reduces the levels of depression, of self-harm and suicide. So that's another reason why I wrote my book, because a lot of the tools and techniques in there and the guidance that I give helps you become that good adult. And that's what they need right now. They've been through the mill. A lot of them were sold a story. If you do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be fine. You'll come out the other end. Then COVID hit. And yeah. then so many of them, their exams are up in the, you know, up in the air. And then they think, well, what I've done all this stuff and what am I supposed to do now? It hasn't just affected young people. It affects adults, too, because we like certainty. So my question, my thing to you is, if you're angry seven days of the week, when it comes to that important phone call at 3 a.m. in the morning, they won't call you. Mm. Remember that. Yeah, we create And we develop our relationships. And I would say to every young person, find somebody, have them in mind if you feel at your lowest so that you can call them at 3 a.m. in the morning and you know they'll be there for you. Because when we can reach out, and we know this in terms of suicide cases, it's okay to talk to someone about suicide if they're contemplating suicide. It doesn't make it worse. But if actually you can talk somebody down, it changes not only that person's life or that family's life or the community that they live in. It has such a massive impact. Build the relationship that you would want, that you wanted for yourself as a child with your child. Very good point. You know, it's funny because um, we always talk about, you know, learning and skills and skills development and all the things we do. And, you know, I, I remember telling this one parent one time, I said, you know, you tell me you have an elite child. I said, but are you really, do you consider yourself an elite parent? Mm. He said, what the heck does that mean? I'm like, well, I mean, you know, a lot of times when you're out in the pitch, I, I hear you and it's, there, there's not a lot of positive reinforcement going on there, but that's just me. I say, I could be wrong. And he goes, I've never heard, had anyone tell me that before, but you know what? I need to think about that. Because I'm not sure how I'm doing in front of my children. I said, well, they'll tell you if you ask them. 
Hey dad, mm-hmm. you know, leave me alone or go away for a while or do something with our, our son was like that. I used to, when he was a goalkeeper, I would literally sometimes just leave the pitch and just walk mm-hmm. around, just go take a walk for an hour because he didn't need to hear me. Right. Mm-hmm. He knew everything he was doing well. And of course I supported him wherever I could, but there was also limitations. And I'm like, well, I can stay here and holler or I can stay here and just not say anything. Or I can just go out and have a good day and let him enjoy that hour and a half without me and the rest of the parents. And my question is, do you know if there's any been ever been any data that supports parents who didn't play sports, right? And are now, you know, the helicopter parents on the sidelines, uh, little Johnny and Janie giving them instruction, you know, and they, and they never played the game. Like, for instance, in college here in the United States, a football player that plays U.S. football, they work about 40 to 45 hours a week in college. Mm-hmm. So I told that to a couple of parents. They had no idea. I said, in women's sports, I mean, they're, you know, a lot of the basketball, women's basketball players, they average 33 to 35 hours a week. That's work. You know, mm-hmm. that's not really playing the old days, you know, where Willie, Willie Stargell used to say, you know, he used to tell the umpire, uh, I, I have such a great time out here. And the umpire says, why? He goes, because you always yell out, play ball. You never say work ball. So mm. I've always tried to tell kids, you know, you've, you've got to understand that it is work, but you got to keep the focus on the playing side of the house. And if you can do that, you're probably going to be healthier in the long run. But I could, you know, that's, that's just my 48 years of being a coach in many different sports. So with that, what is the one final thought, Emma, that you want to leave our listeners with today, especially those who are, you know, graduating uh, high school here in the United States, going on to college, maybe. And as the season gets longer, what, what would you tell them and their parents on the issues and the solutions that you are bringing forward in your awesome book and the things you're doing to help them out? Okay, so... I am a great believer in joy because it's one of those highest vibrational emotions. Um, and I absolutely believe there's a, there's a quote that I open up with in my book. And it was actually said to me by my four-year-old who's now in his twenties, as I was backing the car into the driveway. And he said to me at four, it's all about love, mom. You just have to fill your heart up with love. Because actually when we're surrounded with love and we can live in joy, we're living our best lives. And if you want, you know, a kid to love their sport and be in flow with their game, you want them to love it. You want them to love the ball. You want them to love the experience when they go. You want them to feel that they're making, uh, you know, progress. They don't want an earful. They don't want to feel bad. They, they, They really, really want to to be able to embrace failure without huge amounts of ne- negative consequences. Because if we can't learn to embrace failure, we don't progress. And so for me, that's the most important thing. You learn through failure. And actually, if you're not failing, you're not learning. So you should be encouraging them to fail as often as they can so that ultimately they can learn through that. For me, that's so important. And they want you to love them for who they are, not what they do out on the pitch. 
so, so important. And there's one quote that I often remind myself of daily. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Mm, and Mother, wow. Mother Teresa said that. And so I would ask, say to you as a parent, are you loving your child today or are you judging them for them not delivering what it is you think they should be doing? And I have one tip. Sure. When if we can get into a negative mindset and it's called something diary of joy because we can retrain our brain. As I said earlier, it's, you know, it's like an untrained puppy. If it's, it'll, it'll go off wherever it likes if we let it to, you know, um, what you can do is over a period of two weeks, you wake up in the morning and during your day, you say to it, I want you to find me joyful moments. And it can be the smell of freshly cut grass. It can be the smell of coffee. It can be your breakfast. It can be hearing somebody, your favorite song. It can be anything as simple as that. And it's about tuning in to actually all the magic that is around us rather than focused on all the stuff that we think is wrong. And what you do at the end of that first day, you try and get 10 items. Now, you may not succeed in the first day, but you will get better at it as the time goes on. And then you highlight the key ones that really, really make you smile. And what you're training your brain to do is to look for stuff that makes you feel good. And by the time you get to the end, you'll have 10 every day and you will start to identify the things that actually bring you joy, the things that make you happy. And then you can start to focus your time and energy and your attention on creating more of that in your life. Mm, that's awesome. It's very, 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 very good. Hey, by the way, that Mother Teresa thing, I think she was one of the nuns that beat me up growing up, I think. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no, I don't think so. She's a saint now. So no, no, she, no, of course not. Um, but uh, <laughs> Emmer, I want to thank you once again for, for joining us here on uh, Don't I'll Kick Your Your Coverage podcast series. And I, I want to thank you again for spending the time with us. It's been awesome. Um, and everyone, please, please, please go out to uh, Amazon or to Emmer's site and get her book. Get it today if you can. And please start looking at when the, some of the things she's doing. And hopefully we'll have Emma back on again in the future uh, when she comes up with some new exciting things. And Emma, I want to thank you once again for joining us here and have a blessed holiday upcoming season and a joyful new year to you and your family. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm very grateful for your time and your amazing questions. Oh, and I'm going to, I'm going to end with one thing. Let fear go and see what emerges when you step into courage. That makes all the difference in our lives. Yeah. What do, they, what do we say? Fear? Like, in, you know, we call fear false evidence appearing real in, uh, in firewalking. You know, when I walk. Well, I, I've learned something new today. I'm going to write that down. Yes. Thank you. Tony Robbins, when we firewalked, and I, I did that back in 1986, and he called fear false evidence appearing real. And wow. uh, that was so true back then. So, you know, I, I, I love that quote from him. And I think that's just an amazing thing that we should focus on for our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's thanks. Been a delight. All right. Thank God you. Bless. Take care. We'll see you bye -bye. later. Bye-bye. Take care. See you. Bye-bye.